Hi, everyone. Welcome back and Happy New Year. I hope everyone's feeling good, and I'm very excited to introduce to you the first episode of 2022. Today, you're going to hear a conversation I had with Carly Maines, who many of you might remember from season one. She and Emulsify wrote a children's book about abortion called What's an Abortion Anyway? And if you haven't heard that episode yet, I really encourage you to do so, not only because it's a wonderful episode featuring two wonderful people and you really should know about their book, but also because today's conversation is very much inspired by the conversation that we had on that episode, which is about talking to children about abortion and kind of if there's even such a thing as age appropriate when discussing kind of big life events and kind of more complex uh, topics or issues that affect human beings. If you haven't heard that episode yet, that's totally fine, but it's a recommendation. On today's episode, Carly and I talk about providing abortion services to young people and how, as abortion doulas and service providers, we can do better in being an adult companion and supporting young people and kind of attending to the specific needs that young people have. We talk about adult centrism and how abortion services are often tailored to adults and run by adults and organized by adults. And so even when we are supporting young people, we are doing so in ways that adults think are best. And as a result, we risk infantilizing young people and assuming that they're less responsible or less capable than they actually are in making decisions and going through these kind of big life events. Carly and I talk about how important it is to really take into consideration young people's needs and evaluate each person. And this goes for adults and young people and everyone. Um, and we also talk about how important it is to include young people in the planning and implementation and organizing of all kinds of aspects of abortion care and abortion movement work. For the sake of clarity, when Carly and I talk about young people in this episode, we are mostly referring to people who are under 18. Of course, age is in no way telling of someone's stage in life and should not be a marker to assess and categorize people. But unfortunately, we live, live in a world that has kind of arbitrary age barriers. And um, because of that, we should be talking about this and we have to kind of make some generalizations to be able to have this conversation. Before we start, I want to make really clear that I'm 27 years old and Carly is 28 and while we both have been involved in sexual and reproductive rights and abortion work for a long time, Carly started when she was 15 and I started in my early 20s, it's been a good 10 years since we were in that age group. And I think because of that, we should be critical about our opinions, or you should be critical of our opinions. Um, nevertheless, I think it is really important that we talk about this and that as adults and as people who are, you know, in this work, we continuously have this conversation because we are going to be working and providing services for young people and we need to be really reflexive on our role and how we repeat patterns of adult centrism and how we have internalized stigma around young people and their reproductive lives and reproductive decision making and so because of that I think it is important that we have this conversation but I have added links in the show notes of organizations led by young people so that this isn't the only source that you are receiving your information from. And I'm definitely working on including some younger people on the podcast in the near future to be able to continue this conversation. So keep your ears out for that. 
And lastly, before we start, here's your friendly reminder to listen with an open heart, to remember that we are individuals with our own opinions and experiences of abortion, and some things that we say might be difficult or uncomfortable to hear, and that's okay. I hope that you still continue this conversation with your own community, and as always, I welcome your comments and your feedback. This podcast and this work is a work in progress, and all of you are welcome and included and should be part of that process. All right. Let's get started. Hi, my name is Camilla, and this is Abortion with Love, a podcast dedicated to reclaiming the ways that we talk about abortion. And I believe that all humans have the ability to change and to reform and to evolve their thoughts and feelings, and that is my hope. We want to be with Hi, Carly. Welcome back to Abortion with Love. I'm so happy to have you back on the podcast. Hey, Camilla. Thanks so much for having me again. I'm very excited to be here for this conversation. So as many might remember, Carly was a guest on the podcast in season one to talk about her book, What's an Abortion Anyway, that she wrote with Emulsify. Um, But maybe, Carly, you could introduce yourself again for those who haven't heard that episode. Perfect. Uh, My name is Carly. My pronouns are she, her. I am based in the United States um, on unceded Tongva land, which some folks might know as Los Angeles, California. Um, I have been in the abortion advocacy support space for probably like 12 or 13 years now, which feels a little wild. I started doing this work as a young person myself when I was 15 years old. Um, Since then, I have worked at a number of large abortion advocacy organizations in the United States. Um, I've been an abortion support person, companion, use the word doula historically, um, for the past seven years, predominantly in clinical and medical settings, so supporting people physically during their actual abortions, usually uh, who are doing manual or vacuum aspiration. And then... I guess the other two things of note in the abortion world is that I wrote a children's book um, in partnership with an incredible artist and illustrator named Emulsify. They go by M or Mar, and we partnered to write a book that was um, non-judgmental and age-inclusive. And the term age-appropriate is complicated, which we might talk about today. Um, that is a illustrated 20 page book for folks, um, to talk to the young people in their lives about abortion. And then I also run a, um, uh, abortion support training program, uh, with an organization called DAPO, um, with an amazing counterpart named Zapti Brewster, who I know has also been on the podcast before. So all those good things are a bit about who I am related to abortion. Wonderful. Thank you, Carly. Um, so maybe I could start with why I wanted to have this conversation with you. And first of all, I wanted to continue the conversation that we started with Mar about what does age appropriate mean when it comes to abortion and that there's like so many people who feel like abortion isn't something that we should expose to young people or that isn't appropriate for younger people and especially not children. And when we had that conversation with Mar, it was really focused around like the fact that many life experiences don't really have a like age cutoff because people like people experience these things when they come to you like when when you experience them and um 
it doesn't matter what age you are and like you have to face them or the people around or you you know as a young person maybe the people around you are facing them so you are exposed to them whether you know your parents planned for that or not and um and yeah we talked about what it means to recognize that young folks will be exposed to these like quote-unquote adult issues and so why don't we create the tools and the supportive environment for people to be prepared for when they have to face those situations instead of um hiding like those things or those topics from them um so yeah i wanted to follow up on that conversation but i've also been really hesitant because I don't know. I think it's kind of tricky since I don't consider myself a young person anymore um, as a 27-year-old. Um, although, of course, maybe in certain situations, I'm still considered a young person. But like now I feel like I'm more in the position of having to provide abortion support to people much younger than myself. And I'm finding myself struggling with certain situations where I feel like my theoretical ideas around abortion are kind of contradicting or they don't like translate so well in real life. Um, like in theory, I believe that abortions should be accessible to every person who needs and wants an abortion. But like in practice, that's so much harder to implement, especially considering that there are so many different factors involved in abortion experiences. And abortion experiences aren't really as simple as like, oh, someone wants to have an abortion. Great. Let's give them an abortion. But there's just so many different factors involved. Um, Yeah. So that's that's the first reason I wanted to have this conversation, um, kind of kind of to figure out what my role is as an abortion support person and how I can best support young people or how we can best support young people who are in a situation where they need to have an abortion. Um, but what really got me to think about abortion decision making and young people and agency specifically was the values exploration exercise that we did during the DAPO doula course, um, where we were given a bunch of statements and we had to kind of situate ourselves in as like and decide where we stood in relation to that statement. So whether we really strongly supported that statement or strongly against the statement. Um, and and there was a state specific statement which was like I don't remember if it was a 13-year-old or a 14-year-old, but the statement was like, a 13-year-old is too young to have an abortion. And basically everyone in the room strongly was strongly against the statement, saying like, no, 13-year-old is not too young to have an abortion. There's like no age that is like too young to have an abortion. And then the next statement was something like, a 13-year-old is too young to give birth. And you could see that everyone was like hesitating and couldn't really decide where they stood and when we were like discussing what our thoughts were around it people had a lot more complicated thoughts around the statement like whether a 13 year old was too young to give birth and I thought that this was such an interesting contrast and experience and it really made me stop and reflect on why I was so ready to support a 13 year old's abortion experience but then I could see that I had some prejudice and stigma around the 13 year old experiencing pregnancy and birth and parenthood um yeah okay I've talked a lot now but maybe you want to share if you've had any similar like had a similar dilemma around around the statement I mean absolutely yeah I have done values exploration since I was 15 I've been doing different values exploration exercises and 
Uh, yeah, I think it's a really tricky con- contrast. I think I understand why a lot of folks hesitate around supporting a young person having a child um, at the age of, it was 13, you were right. Um, and I think that the values behind why are quite beautiful. It's folks really want to make sure that young people get to live out their lives with all of their, um, all of the choices and options that they might want. And we view parenthood as a, as a limiting factor because our world has set up parenthood as a limiting factor for many people, right? Like childcare, um, essentials for caring for a young person, raising little ones and more so isolation in a lot of Western cultures um, mean that young folks have to do a lot more for themselves and do a lot of caretaking when we see at that stage in life they are supposed to be taken care of. So I think I understand very much why folks hesitate there. And also there's a difference between, you know, when we think about living our values and the application of, of our values in a way that is equitable and then a way that is uh, based in our lived experience, those two things can look different. And I think that's what happens for many people with that question. And it's really understandable. Yeah. Um, it really makes me think about like, when is someone too young to be making reproductive decisions or is like, is there even such a thing as being too young to make these decisions? Um, I was once working for an organization that provides abortion support for people. And, um, we have a bunch of protocols that are standardized and we keep having to have conversations around them because you can't really standardize like abortion care, because uh, every situation is different. And one of the conversations we had, uh, like had so often was around the age cutoff that we had, like the age cutoff of when we think someone is too young to go through an abortion alone. And when they would, when would we require an, a, an adult to be there during the abortion to support the young person? And the age limit that we had decided on was like 16. And we really kept having to come back to this because like, you know, why 16? And when is a 16-year-old different to a 17-year-old? And when is a 16-year-old different to a 15-year-old? And, like, can you really measure maturity or, like, capacity to make decisions um, by age? Um, And, like, is setting an age limit just an arbitrary, like, an arbitrary thing? Um, Or are there better ways that we can evaluate someone's capacity to make decisions and how much support that they need rather than just deciding on an arbitrary number. Yeah. I mean, I think socially we come up with arbitrary numbers all the time. For, like yeah. when we talk about legality, so much of yeah. it is arbitrary, right? Consent laws are questionably arbitrary. Yeah. Um, I, I have a framework around why I feel so strongly about young people and young people's rights. And it's a, it's, I recognize it's very much based in my own lived experience and context. The reason that I got into advocacy around abortion when I was 15 was because I had seen the show 16 and Pregnant, Mm -hmm. which um, for folks who that's not a show that was streaming in in their context, it was a show where folks who were 16 were pregnant and having children. And a lot of them would talk about why they got pregnant. And many people on the show just didn't know. They didn't know about birth control. They didn't know that you know, pulling out wasn't a hundred percent effective method. Um, 
And what enraged me about that as a young person, as someone who's 15 myself, the same age as the folks on the show, it was the idea that like someone had this information and knowledge and denied these young people critical information about their bodies to make their own informed decisions because they didn't trust them with information about their bodies. And the whole notion that young people can't be trusted with information to make informed decisions just is something that has always deeply bothered me. And I think I recognize culturally there are a lot of nuance that go into the way that young people are interacted with. And I very much understand the culture of respecting your elders. And I think that's something that is endemic to many cultures. And I think there's a lot of beauty in that. And I think the way that that sometimes is used socially is that young people are asked to respect their elders, but are not, it is not assumed that the inverse happens as well, that older folks respect young people. I don't think that that's a cultural norm for many of us. And I think that's what bothers me so deeply. And I think that's so tied to abortion and to young people's rights generally that um, there's just not a general respect for young people as autonomous individual human beings who can and will make decisions about their lives. And they're going to make them whether or not we give them all of the access to the information that they need to make them in an informed way, which then leads to harmful decision-making, not because young people can't make them, but because we're hiding or um, preventing them from accessing the information that they need. Yeah, definitely. I think that's a really good point that like young people are making these decisions and having these experiences, whether adults like it or not. And that in order to make informed decisions, they obviously like need access to the information. Um, as I was reading into this topic, I came across the term adult centrism, which I guess I had thought about it before, but kind of lack the the language around it. And it's this belief that adults know what's best for young people or the idea that like that adults know what's best for young people and the lack of trust for young people to make decisions by themselves. And so as a result, we create a society that favors adults and silences the opinions and experiences of young folks. Um, and I think it comes from this idea that young people are vulnerable and innocent and as adults, it's our role to protect them. But yeah, then we have to reflect on like whether protecting young people in the best way, actually whether it means like denying them crucial information because we feel they're too young to be exposed to it. Or if protecting them looks like providing a supportive environment where they have access to accurate and holistic information and um, yeah, and then they make informed, they can make informed decisions. Uh, Because as we talked about in that last conversation with Mar, young people will be faced with these decisions at some point. And many people, unfortunately, don't ever really like know about abortions or really think about abortion until they're faced with like a situation of having to decide to have an abortion themselves. Yeah. A really common narrative that I often hear from people who, especially with the book, a a common narrative that we heard around resistance to the book was that, you know, don't burden young people with adult problems, right? That young people don't need to think about this, that they are young and they should be playing and they should not be worrying about um, 
you know, things that happen to adults and, um, you know, it, it's, yeah, it's not their problem. Like, like really this phrase of let kids be kids is a really mm. common one that I think I hear from mostly folks who don't often share my values. Um, and I, I just personally don't see any of this within that framework. I don't think that telling young people or having authentic conversations with young people about the realities of the world and life are a burden. Yeah. I think it's actually really liberating. And I think that when we hide things, when we hide the reality or we to the extreme lie to young people, which is very common, um, what happens is that they grow up and they are faced with the realities of life and they're not prepared emotionally yeah. or with the information to make informed decisions for their own life. And that's when you find yeah. a lot of folks living regretfully or resentfully because they weren't prepared. And I think that's actually yeah. our responsibility. Being a good adult companion to a young person and being a good counterpart to a, to a young person is being transparent, being truthful, being compassionate, um, and being there. Yeah. Being, being just a fully supportive person with, with knowledge and truth. Yeah, that's so true. And I think it's really funny you saying that the reason people um, deny this information to young people is because we should let kids be kids. But like, we tend to forget that teenagers are having sex all the time. And like, isn't that also what it means to be a young person and a teenager is to be like exploring your body and exploring relationships and like exploring yourself sexually. Um, and I just have such a hard time understanding like how as adults we forget that. Like, I feel like we have collective amnesia about our first sexual experiences um, and that we forget that many of us were having sex, like, or at least started becoming sexual before we were 18 or before we were even 16. And I guess that that combined with like the terrible sex education that is unfortunately still a reality in a lot, if not most contexts where like sex is taught in really stigmatizing ways and where pregnancy and abortion are discussed as like punishment for having sex rather than focusing on like pleasure and knowing your own body and boundaries and having the information you need to be making informed decisions about your sexual life. So I feel like it's just so out of touch with reality to believe that we're protecting young people by hiding this information when actually we're putting at risk. We're putting young people at risk since young people are having sex all the time. <laughs> yeah. What sort of is coming to mind with you sharing that, Camilla, is the conversation that you had with your mom, which I'll do a little plug if no listeners, <laughs> if, if there's a listener who has not heard that episode, it is beautiful and vulnerable and just a really, um, I felt very honored to be welcomed into that conversation with you and your mother. Oh, thank you. Um, and I think it's sort of one thing that you mentioned early on in that episode around how, you know, as young people of parents, you really don't have a full understanding of your parents' humanity until later on in life when you yeah. learn some of their stories. And I think, I don't know if I wish I knew more when I was younger, it's a hard balance. It's there's the beauty in a parent just being your parent. And then there's also a real beauty in getting to know them as a fully formed individual. Yeah. And 
I'm not sure why I'm bringing this up, but there, (laughs) there's just a thread of connection for me around, um, you know, what we choose to tell young people and what we don't choose to tell young people. And, um, and I guess that there's like the fact that we, we never see our parents as sexual beings and that we like to pretend that the only time they had sex was when they had us. (laughs) Right. Yeah. I guess it's that. And I guess like as a young person, it actually would have been really lovely to know that what I'm doing is normal. What I'm doing is common that the person that I trust and love most in this world, my mother had these experiences too and how beautiful to, to feel normalized in that way that when we don't have those conversations, I think it can lead to isolation and shame, which is such a pervasive feeling and experience around abortion and sex in our, in our society that it would be lovely and it would be really beautiful if um, we could have more of those open conversations and probably less jarring that when I am in my mid and late twenties, I'm like only discovering now that my, that my mother was a human. (laughs) Yeah, definitely. I think that's also been eye opening for me as I've grown older to like start learning about my parents before they were parents and like hearing stories of them and like seeing them as individuals with complex lives and complicated emotions and so on and not necessarily as these like perfect flawless people who know everything and like I think we put our parents into we feel like we really know them but then I feel like hearing a lot of stories from my parents youth before um before they had me and realizing that like, wow, that they defy a lot, those stories defy a lot of my expectations of them. And I think like, as we, you know, grow into adulthood, we realize that our parents aren't as perfect and, and that they're flawed and complex, just like everyone else. Right. Right. And there's real beauty in that. And I think that when we, I think that it can lead to a lot of broken relationship when you find out that your parents are human, when you find out that your parents are human and have made mistakes and you had held them in this perfect image, it can be really shattering yeah. for folks. So yeah. if young people can live authentically, you know, and transparently with their caretakers, whether that be birth parents or whoever the caretaker in their life is, um, you know, maybe that would help prevent some of the harm that I think happens as you grow and you learn some of those, those stories. And I think about young folks who are advocates strongly against abortion, right? Like we just had at the Supreme Court um, uh, in the United States, a huge rally out, out front as they were hearing the landmark Roe v. Wade abortion case in the U.S. And there are, and there are images of so many young people holding up signs that say, we are the pro-life generation, you know, parents who have their five, six, seven-year-olds there with them, who they've put signs around of pictures of, you know, often miscarried fetuses um, and pregnancies. And I have no doubt that many, of course, statistically speaking, many of those folks there have people in their life who have had abortions yeah. who probably really benefited or, um, you know, don't regret their abortions, but they can't have those conversations. And that maybe is one of the reasons that they, that has led them to that place of advocacy because they don't know someone in their life, even though that person definitely exists. So um, I wonder about that too. Would there be less 
you know, less of a movement of young people opposing abortion if they knew that adults in their lives had had them and um, didn't feel only negatively impacted by it. Yeah. And I think it's so ironic that the pushback that you and Mar received with the book, like of this being too much of an adult issue that we shouldn't be introducing to children and so on. And like this whole thing of let kids be kids. And meanwhile, you have these same people who are against abortions and they're bringing their kids to anti-abortion rallies and holding really graphic posters and, you know, like being really aggressive towards people who are entering abortion clinics and so on. And it just like, it just doesn't make any sense. And it just goes to show that like they use kids as bait, you know, for them to win their ideological battles and like being able to ignore the real experiences of people. Yeah. I mean, not only that, but at the clinic that I volunteered at for a very long time on Saturday mornings when I would volunteer, there were always young people outside. Like there were, mm-hmm. you know, protesters who were there with their little kids. They were there with their teenagers. And if you want to talk about, you know, kids being kids on a Saturday morning, when kids aren't in school for the thing for them to be doing is standing outside of a dilapidated medical building on the side of a highway, like holding a sign for hours in the freezing cold, like that feels a little antithetical to letting children play and explore. And, you know, I don't really think that's letting children be children. So it's actually really taking away a lot of their agency and, in terms of how their values are shaped and also like how they're spending their time. Yeah, for sure. Um, I wanted to bring the conversation back to youth inclusive abortion care. And like, while there's a lot of talk about including young people in our movement and in our organizing, um, I think in practice it happens a lot less and we end up with movements that are led by adults and that like superficially include young people Um, and it just also ends up then being adults who decide what youth inclusive abortion care looks like. And what ends up happening is that we categorize young people as a monolith and like we create services that assume that all young people are having similar experiences and all young people mature at the same rate and have like the same decision-making capacities at the same ages and who have the same needs. And like, we end up forgetting that young people have diverse needs and have diverse experiences and that we can't like provide any kind of one size fits all care. Yeah. I think that's, that's absolutely true. It's this, I mean, it's the same as, I guess it's really the same as anyone who's accessing abortion care. Every young person just like every adult having an abortion needs and wants something different and we need to build systems that can meet each of them where they are yeah definitely i think that's what it comes down to right like as someone who supports people's abortion experiences like our role is to evaluate each individual person and their context and their experience and be able to provide a care that's tailored to them um and i think that that doesn't change when we're talking about young people and of course like 
in theory, I think that sounds beautiful and that's the kind of care I'd like to provide. But in practice, sometimes you just cannot provide such a tailored care and you cannot, you don't have the time or you don't have the resources or you don't have the capacity to really delve into someone's unique experience. And so to some extent, we have to have some kind of standardization. And I think what makes that really hard with young people is that I think we, I think there's a reason why we have to take extra steps to, to take care of young people. And that's not to say that young people, a lot of young people are making these decisions fully informed and, you know, it's a hundred percent their decision and that's wonderful. And they're totally capable of doing that and having an abortion alone. And I definitely recognize that, but there are also a lot of young people who maybe need more support or who, because of their situation in life, where their where their decision isn't informed or where choice is just a lot more complicated. And yeah, I think that like as a abortion provider or as an abortion support person, we have to take extra steps to make sure that people are safe when they're uh, making these decisions or, or having an abortion or whatever. And I wanted to ask you if, um, as someone who has been supporting people for many years in abortion clinics, whether you've had situations where a young person has come in and whether you've doubted if their decision is informed or whether their decision is really theirs or, yeah, how you've navigated that. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, I'm thinking about one young person that I supported who was like just such a cool, you know, just such a cool young person and they were so chill and, um, you know, for them, they were really just like, yeah, I'm here today. Like I'm going out with my friends later. We're seeing a movie. Like, um, I'm just, I'm just thinking about that one person in particular and how really, really in that moment during their procedure, how free of stigma and shame they really seemed in that moment and just like the beauty there and the fact that I felt really proud of the clinic that I volunteered at, that they created that environment for that young person. Um, And yeah, just a lot of beauty there. But in terms of supporting young people who come in where it's like a more complicated case, um, I mean, my role as a support person is to just like truly be whatever that young person needs. If they, you know, are questioning their decision, like we'll pause everything, right? Like we won't go forward with the procedure until they are a hundred percent sure. And I think the trickiest cases are when young people are at the clinic with parents and you can sort of feel the energy of a parent who, you know, feels really strongly that they want their young person to have an abortion that day. Yeah. And it feels a bit like, you know, uh, a little bit of being in a tough spot where it's not my role to mediate a conversation between a child and a caretaker who brought them to the clinic. And also, it is not my role to help carry out a procedure that a young person 
does not want to have. Yeah. So it, yeah. it is a really tricky spot. In those scenarios, we just have to move very slowly and intentionally. Like we just yeah. pause at any opportunity to really make sure that the young person is leading, is leading the procedure, is leading the decision um, as much as possible. We try to ensure that the young person gets space with the clinicians and with me without a parent, without a caretaker, yeah. so that they can say and share freely. Um, I never have parents, when I do my little you know, doula companion speech, um, I always just ask for the person um, who's having the abortion to come into the room. Never a parent or, um, or a companion comes with them. So that is an opportunity to have a really candid conversation. There have been two or three, there have been two in my almost seven years of doing this, young people that were at the clinic. I had a conversation with them. It was not clear that they were ready to have that procedure that day or that they wanted the procedure at all. And I would, you know, send them back out to the waiting room, go talk to the clinicians and say, based on my conversation, here's what's happened. Here's what has happened. Um, I do not think that the procedure should take place today because this person said that they did not necessarily want it today. And I think on the clinical side, you, you probably need to slow it down or um, ask them to come back in a few days if they're, if they're ready again. So um, yeah, that's, I think those are just, those are the most complicated for me. Um, I imagine that it's much more complicated for folks on your end who are <laughs> supporting young people virtually um, where you're not in person and you don't know who's necessarily behind each email um, yeah. or who's in their life or their community. Um, yeah. How, how has navigating that either ideologically or in practice been like for you? Hmm. Yeah, that's a good question. Um, but I first want to respond to what you said by saying that I think it's really beautiful that there is a space um, where people are able to talk to you and that their doubts or insecurities are really being listened to and acted upon and that you are paying attention, not just to like what they're saying, but to the specific nuances that don't necessarily get expressed in words, but that, you know, there's someone like you who's there to observe. Um, yeah, that you're tending to, to anything that you think might be um, a red flag um, at all. And another thing that I thought of when you were saying this is like, I think you can kind of see when a young person is... You know, they have gone through the motions of figuring out that they're pregnant, realizing that they don't want to be pregnant and deciding that they want to have an abortion and then researching where they can access an abortion and finding the funds to be able to pay for their abortion and taking themselves to the clinic and navigating like all the logistics to, you know, do it without their parents knowing or like figuring out who are the adults or the friends or the people in their lives who they can talk to. And they've gone through all these steps like I think, you know, if they have gone through all these steps, it's probably safe to say that they are capable, you know, that they are capable to make this decision themselves and go through this procedure themselves and that they don't need adult supervision or adult consent. Um, and I think that, you know, that's really different if there is an adult who has taken a young person to the abortion clinic and is doing all the talking on behalf of the adult, of, of the young person, then maybe it's harder to figure out you know, to what extent is this decision the young person's? Um, and that goes for not just abortion, but like all kinds of reproductive decision-making. 
Um, and I think that's what's really hard in my context where I'm providing abortion support remotely and not just that, but I'm also helping people access abortions. So it just makes it a lot harder and a lot riskier. Um, you have to take a lot of things into consideration. Um, and it's harder to know for sure if they're as old as they say they are. Like we have no way of, we get an email. That's all we get. And, you know, it's hard to judge if they are who they say they are, if they're as old as they say they are, if they have the support that they say they have. And when you're providing support remotely, sometimes you just have to draw a line somewhere because the risk is just too high and you aren't physically there to help someone if they're in trouble or to assess the whole context. And I think what's really crucial in the work that I do if providing abortion support remotely and helping people access abortions is to recognize that people are going to do what they want to do um, or what they need to do or what they can do with the like resources that they have available to them. And our job isn't to recommend anything or tell them what to do, but to be, to, to give them all the information that they need to be able to make the decision themselves. And it takes a lot of work for us or I can say that it takes a lot of work for me to kind of put aside my my own feelings around whether I think this person is capable or not, or whether I think this person should take more time to think about it or not, or um, all I mean, all the internalized stigma I have, and just provide support because at the end of the day, what people are writing to us for is because they need support and they need information and that's our job to give it to them. Yeah. I mean, I think what goes into all of this too is the law. Like hmm. there are so many legal barriers to supporting young people the way that I, that I think a lot of us want to. Yeah. And the law stigmatizes youth and their agency as well and makes it sometimes actually impossible for young people to have agency yeah. um parental consent laws right a really common thing yeah. in the united states and it essentially it, it is putting a legal marker on what we socially think young people are capable and not capable of making decisions around um and so i i recognize that's also you know depending on your context there's so much that goes into what adults and folks can do to support young people because there are legal barriers and legal risk um, that goes into all of it as well. Yeah. Um, I'm weary of time. And though I'm sure we could keep talking about this for a long time, I wanted to make sure that we have time for the last question. Um, I asked you the question I asked all my guests in the last episode we did together. So if you want to answer it again, uh, or if your answer has changed, then feel free to share with us what you think the role of love is in abortion but otherwise i have reframed the question um to be when has abortion pushed you to expand your heart and your ability to love in ways that are difficult or uncomfortable it's mm, a beautiful reframe abortion has invited me to think about and relate to love in ways that are difficult when I'm supporting people who really do not share my values. That is hard. That, that, that really is an invitation to think beyond myself in a lot of ways. And that 
it is a part of my values to show up for anyone having an abortion. And that means people who are sometimes homophobic. And as a queer person, that's hard. It means supporting people who sometimes I know have actively fought for the right to have an abortion, that the right that they are currently exercising. It is hard and it is necessary work. And I think that's for me because I have to hope that the compassion and empathy that I'm showing them in that moment, that they carry that forward. And I believe that all humans have the ability to change and to reform and to evolve their thoughts and feelings. And that is my hope. So it is certainly difficult to hold space for people who are not showing up for other people who have abortions with kindness. But that doesn't mean that that's not my obligation to show up for them with the kind of kindness I want them to show up in the world for others. All right. So that was Carly Maines. You can find more information about her and the book that she wrote with Emulsify, What's an Abortion Anyway, on the show notes. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed this episode. I would love to hear your thoughts about the topic, and especially if you're a young person and have had an abortion or you work with reproductive justice and want to get in touch with me, I'd be so happy. All right. You can find more information about Abortion with Love with a list of all the episodes um, accompanied by beautiful illustrations of all the guests that have been on the podcast on the website, www.abortionwithlove.com, and you can listen wherever you listen to podcasts. All right. See you in three weeks. Hi, my name is Camilla, and this is Abortion with Love, a podcast dedicated to reclaiming the ways that we talk about abortion. Yeah, I and think I believe that all humans have the ability to change and to reform and to their thoughts and feelings, and that is my hope. We want to be with.